0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. My name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here at Congregational Care, and I'm happy to bring the sermon to you this morning, and we are continuing on in the series on God is, and uh, last week we talked about, or Pete gave us some insight on God is shepherd, and we are sheep. Um, Before uh, coming in uh, for the first service, Pastor Pete asked me, uh, Keith, asked if I was ready to bring the fire this morning. Uh, he asked it because he knew that that's probably not likely to happen for me. And that, then I, I was thinking about a story I heard. Well, it's not a true story, but uh, it was, uh, I think, not. Uh, three pastors, three ministers were interviewed by a reporter in this small town. Uh, the, one was a uh, Pentecostal preacher. The other was a Catholic priest and the other was a Lutheran minister. And uh, the question that the reporter asked each of these was, went something like this. Um, So at your funeral, when you're lying in state, lying in state, and people are coming up to your casket, they're looking in, by the way, this feels very close, doesn't it? I better stay back, because there may be some preaching rain coming down on you. So they're asking, she asks the reporter, so, People are coming by. They're looking into your casket. They're looking into your body. And um, what is it you would like them to say about you? So the first response was, of course, the Pentecostal preacher. And he said, well, what I would like them to say is that he was an amazing preacher. He could paint the, uh, preach the paint off the walls. He was passionate about God's word, and which is what a Pentecostal preacher would probably say. And then next was the Catholic priest, and uh, the priest responded that, well, I would like them to say that something like uh, he was really a caring, compassionate um, uh, minister and, and really showed that he cared a lot. And then, uh, so that's good, great. And then finally, the Lutheran pastor responded, what do I want them to say when they're looking into my coffin? Look, he's moving. So um, I'm hopeful that uh, whatever you remember about this sermon today is really about the sermon. I hope this doesn't offend you if I put this right here, uh, putting the Bible on the ground. Um, But uh, so we are continuing on with the the series. And uh, and, uh, Pete introduced to us a theological seminarian term. Remember what that was? He made you say it after him. Come on. Yes. Thank you for saying that because I'm going to try to avoid that. But what is the definition of, of that word? Uh, from uh, Baker's Dictionary of Theology, or um, it says that uh, this refers to the descriptions of God's being, his actions, his emotions, uh, in human terms. God is invisible, infinite, and without body. But human characteristics are frequently ascribed to God in order to communicate information about his nature. And so God is shepherd was a useful anthropomorphism uh, that helps us understand some aspect of the character of God. But we also learned about the sheep, right? Which, uh, which is not anthropomorphic, right? But is another literary term that we use, or they use, I don't use it, but I'm using it this morning, uh, personification. It's when we, when we ascribe or attribute human Qualities to animals, inanimate objects, and or even abstract notions. Um, And today we are continuing on with God is the potter and we are the clay. Um, Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, so thankful for the moments that have led up to this time, the powerful experience of worship. It's powerful because your spirit is among us and generating that spirit of worship within us. Um, It's powerful because you are the God who is worth um, the good things that we have to say and sing about. But you're also the God who, even in the midst of worship, um, there are those that you know, Lord, who are... um, are living in a season of challenge and it's difficult for them to articulate um, worship but you're here for them too now lord we pray that as the word is opened up to us your word the scriptures we pray that your spirit would um, would do his work in us so that what is shared would um, take root and grow and we prayed in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So our scripture this morning, and by the way, welcome those of you who are online. And we're thankful that you're viewing us in that way. So the text this morning is just a short, it's brief. Isaiah 64, verse 8. And it reads, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. That's it. And there are other verses and passages that, that where this metaphor is present, and we'll talk a little bit about some of those from the Old Testament and into the New Testament, or as Pete says, the Newer Testament. However, the Newer Testament is kind of old, so maybe we should refer to the Newer Testament as the more recent Testament. So, some background context. In this section of the book, Isaiah 63 and 64, we are actually reading a prayer. And this prayer is reflective of a people who who are anticipating a return to their homeland, to Jerusalem, to Zion. These people had been living in captivity for generations under the Babylonians first and then the uh, Syrians and then the Persians, and so it's been a long, long time, and now they are anticipating a return to their homeland. And and you would think that uh, there was just a, a unified one voice, but there isn't. In fact, the prayers reveal that there are factions because there are different voices in the prayers. Uh, go back and do a closer read of Isaiah 63, 64. So what are the voices that are that are praying here? Well, some would pray exclusively for Jerusalem. Others would pray for redemption for all tribes of Israel. And there are those whose sole concern was the temple and their rights. There are others who felt that only the descendants of the original covenant community should receive God's attention and blessing. And finally, there were activists that demanded a return to political power and military strength that will win the respect of all nations. It feels like things haven't changed from then till now, right? We have these different voices that are that are that are praying. Well, my hope this morning is uh, is that as we think through these things, that our voices would truly be one when we pray. You, Lord, our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Now, by the time Isaiah comes onto the scene as a prophet in the 8th century BCE, um, the pottery enterprise had already been well-developed. I mean, it's thousands of years before Isaiah comes onto the scene. Uh, We think about the Neolithic Revolution, when humanity moved from being a food-gathering society to a food-producing society, which created the need for storage, among other things, right? And this need um, created the need for storage containers, and uh, this is where pottery comes in. Now, surely the, uh, the 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 first pottery enterprise was mostly motivated by the need to create pots to store food and and stuff in for a long time. But eventually, over time, pottery became so much more, right? How many of us in here have actually worked with clay on a wheel? Oh my goodness. I should step down and let you come up here and tell us a little bit more. But that's why I'm thankful for the video that we show, that you got to see something. And um, uh, and if uh, I invite those of you who have worked with pottery to come to me afterwards and tell me just where I went wrong in this sermon, but um, I'm gonna try, I I learned a lot in studying about this. Uh, But so, uh, the enterprise has been around a long time, but you know what, the technology hasn't really changed, basically, over that time. Now there's, you know, he said, we use fire, you fire, but then they use gas, you know, things like that. But the basic raw material, you know, and the basic uh, principles in shaping clay into whatever um, really hasn't changed for all those years. And this wasn't lost in the minds of those who heard the message and who were saying the things like, you are the potter, we are the clay. They well understood this image and this imagery. And hopefully this morning we can understand something a little bit more when it comes to the imagery, the anthropomorphism, and the personification. Now, while they well understood the imagery, doesn't mean that they actually necessarily all agreed, right? We just read the prayer, um, read about the prayer. Um, so, let's begin with, the, with clay. Let's talk about clay. We can talk about the raw material of clay, its chemical properties, et cetera which is really very interesting. Uh, For example, the clay material at that time in that area uh, was known as thixotropic. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you can correct me afterwards. And these are the clays that become more plastic and softer the more the potter works them, but hardens quickly when allowed to stand. We can also talk about the characteristics of pottery in the Palestinian region uh, during the Iron Age II, which is when Isaiah was prophesying Iron Age II, um, again in the 8th century BCE onward. Isaiah, uh, these were characterized by refined design elements as well as a large, I wish I had pictures, I should have had pictures for you. But these are, by, by this time you saw lots of um, decorative, Um, elements on the the pottery, but you also saw the pottery shapes themselves, Um, not just basic urns and pots and all these, but they were were done in shapes of animals, uh, things of nature, Uh, sometimes whole animals, sometimes animals as handles, you know, some real intricate stuff by this time. So in the minds of those who are saying, you are the potter, we are the clay, this is what was on their mind, they, they, they had by this time understood pottery to be something um, more developed. We could talk a lot more about this and it's a, it's a fascinating study. Um, I just wanna point out though, Paul points out in one of his letters and I wish I had the reference to you, I, I'm just, it just came to mind. But when he says that we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, in earthen vessels, right, and um, and it's it's meant to uh, sort of contrast the treasure. Now, earthen vessels were not just for carrying water and stuff, right? They were also meant to carry treasures. And here, Paul talks about us being these earthen vessels. So this metaphor carries throughout uh, throughout um, history, biblical history. Um, Our interest for this morning, um, the overriding question I'm going to use right now is, why are we on the potter's wheel in the first place? Well, allow me to use a churchy sounding word for a moment, for which I don't apologize. And that word is sanctification. And what is that? What it means to be in the process of sanctification is simply to live into our identity and purpose of God's children. There's a lot that goes into who we are as followers of Jesus, as those of us who have committed to follow Jesus. And there's a lot that goes into our purpose as God's children. St. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that when we've been set free by his spirit, when the veil that conceals truth from our understanding is removed by believing in Christ, that, quote, all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. This is the process of being sanctified, of being set apart, of being transformed. In his letter to the Galatians, the apostle, chapter 5, states that um, sanctification in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. And he says that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. What kind of fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul says there's no law against these. That's part of the process of sanctification and transformation is to produce in us the fruit of the spirit. And these illustrations are fascinatingly spot on. When you consider that clay taken from the earth as raw material is processed, thrown onto the potter's wheel. And there takes shape and is made into something that bears little resemblance to the raw material from which it came. Though I hasten to add that it is essentially clay, the same, but transformed. The clay, as you saw in the, in the film, in the video, the, the, the lump of clay is called a pug, is that what I'm, am I, uh, yes, good, I get the nods from right here. It's a pug, you throw it onto the, the wheel and then there the process begins. The pug looks something very different than the end product, right? But it's still essentially the same thing. It's just been transformed. That's important to know. God keeps us us. All that went into shaping us and making us. We get to still be us, but we are transformed. We are redeemed. So the business of following Jesus is not about not becoming you anymore, but it's being the you on the potter's wheel that is transformed into something that God envisions that perhaps we never thought that we would ever see. Okay? The Bible speaks of this transformation using the Greek word, derived from the Greek word, Metamorphosis. We've heard that word before, haven't we? Metamorphosis. It describes the process, and it's a complex process. But simply put, the process that a fuzzy old caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly, that is weird to me. I don't know. Have you ever thought about that? We take these things for granted, but if you ever thought about it, it's like this fuzzy, creepy, crawly thing becomes this beautiful delicate insect that flies that's crazy and that's called metamorphosis and we are in process now that butterfly did not it's still part of the caterpillar is still in the butterfly as I mentioned earlier it's just been transformed We are in that process, and the Bible talks about it. And uh, in uh, the passage that I read moments ago in 2 Corinthians, that word is used there um, in being changed from glory to glory to glory. So, no doubt, some of you have heard countless sermons about the process of being pushed and prodded and pinched and snipped and all that. And that evokes thoughts of, oh, my gosh, that's painful. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in that situation. And we find ourselves there nonetheless. Yes, the process can be painful. Why? The pain may may be because God is trying to work some, some stuff out of us that needs to be worked out. You know that the potter has to knead and push and knead and push the clay until the potter is fairly certain that enough air is gone from outside of the clay so that the clay, when introduced into the heat, into the kiln, does not explode. (laughs) That's what air in the clay does under heat we might say that the painful experiences that we are experiencing, whatever they might be, wherever they are, is to, is to prepare us for the fire. The refining fire, by the way. The fire that, that sets us and um, makes us into that, that peace that is um, pretty awesome to look upon and pretty useful, too. The painful experience in life is what I think Frederick Buechner referred to as Crazy Holy Grace in his book of the same title. If you find yourself uh, there, I commend this book to you by Frederick Buechner, B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R, Crazy Holy Grace. And that helps us us with the perspective on the experience that life sometimes, um, that we experience in life. Not all is painful, the whole process being on the potter's wheel doesn't isn't always about being pushed and prodded and pinched and snipped and uh, this is my warning um, because the good things in life shape us as well, and God uses that. I think you know in that uh, that video, you know you, I don 't know I can watch that forever the process of Of this lump, this pug becoming, you know, shaped. And and just the silkiness that, you know, the butteriness of it. And and, and that's the water that is helping it to be shaped. Like he said, if the water is not constantly used, uh, then it's resisting. The clay will be resistant. And it'll fly off the wheel. And um, we want to remain on that wheel, right? So... You can, you know, and it's, I think the water is the good thing. So, what are those good things in our lives that really help shape us on that wheel? Well, I think of the community of faith that is meant to be life giving. When we gather on a Sunday morning like this and we are offered the opportunity to lift our voices in worship. I think of the community of faith when we're in smaller groups, in life groups. I think of the community of faith when we're in Bible studies and prayer groups. Whenever we come together, wherever we come together, wherever life gets to touch life, even in one-on-ones, some of us may be living in a difficult season. To have somebody to keep us company in those times and places is powerful. And that's part of the process of being transformed and shaped as well. The deal for us as clay is to remain pliable and humble. Think of St. Paul in Romans chapter 9 where he says, when a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he, the potter, have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and one for, well, This translation says, throw garbage into. Now, that's a statement of the potter being getting to be the potter. But it's also a statement of the clay needing to be the clay. Sometimes, we, our humanness, um, we are tempted with an impulse to, to exchange places. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Ethics, refers to this as... Humanity still reaching for the fruit. Meaning that we're still trying to exchange places with God. It is an absurdity, isn't it, for clay to imagine itself to be the potter. Well, this leads us to the potter. The anthropomorphism. From our passage... Let's read it again, let me read it again. And yet, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter, we all are formed by your hand. This feels like a breathtaking acknowledgement on the part of the people praying. Acknowledgement of who the potter is and who they are. And who is the potter? What kind of characteristics go into, I'll, I'll mention just four. A potter was someone who was knowledgeable, knowledgeable about the raw material, knowledgeable about the material, how it will react in the process of becoming, moving from clay to pottery. God, as the potter, is knowledgeable about us. Psalm 100 tells us, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. He who made us, and we are his. God is knowledgeable about the raw stuff of our material, of who we are. And God knows what the process will do and how we'll respond and react in the process. And what we need, what kind of pushing and pinching and snipping is necessary to get us to the place that he envisions. The potter was not only knowledgeable, the potter was skilled. His or her knowledge informed how, how the potter was to treat the clay to get it to where the potter wanted it to be. The knowledge and the skill in, in terms of what technology is necessary to employ, you know, temperatures, all these kinds of things. And the knowledge informs the skill. God as potter is skilled in the forming of us into our fulfilled purpose. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? potter is knowledgeable, is skilled, but the potter was also creative. I love this part of it. By the time that Isaiah came on the scene, as I mentioned earlier, pottery had developed into something quite more than utilitarian. It was more than just about carrying water or storing food. It became both utilitarian and art, and in some cases, just art that displayed the creativity of the, the potter, the artist, the artisan. And so that we are our eyes are meant to look upon these pieces and with pleasure and maybe some inspiration. God takes what is raw and creates something beautiful out of it. I mean, look at creation. I can't Taking creation in this beautiful part of Virginia and imagine that God has no sense of creativity. I look at the faces here and I cannot imagine that God has no sense of creativity, if not sense of humor. Well, most of you are looking at me and saying, sense of humor, God ha. But God is creative. God makes things of beauty, and that is why we're on the the wheel, right? Finally, God, the potter, I'm sorry, is patient. The potter must exercise patience. It takes a while. It takes a long time, and you can't rush the process. Otherwise, there would be no integrity in 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 the product. The potter is not interested in rushing the process, and therefore must be patient. in Jeremiah 18, it talks about uh, the potter and the clay and telling the uh, the prophet to go to the potter's house and, uh, and uh, the prophet observed that the potter was working on a piece and then something didn't work out so the potter collapsed it and made it into clay again and started reforming it. This is to me a, a statement of patience and God is patient, right? He must be with us, but not patient in a way that sometimes I exercise patience as a parent. <sighs> you know, I'm waiting, but I'm not patient. You know, I'm just like, come on, come on. You know, God doesn't exercise patience out of frustration, but out of what he sees in front of him the end product. So his patience is, comes from a place of love and compassion. All of these characteristics suggest at least one thing for us, and that is that the potter, God, is trustworthy. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come down because I'm at just about a minute before I need to be done. Because guess what? I have to go out there and do the same thing uh, when, when the songs are over. Um, The potter is good. The potter is trustworthy. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, asserts that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Friends, being on the potter's wheel is often not a picnic but it's a good place to be because the potter is good. Amen.